Thank you for joining me today. This is Colin Hamilton, Commodities Analyst at BMO Capital Markets. And welcome to our short Metals Matters podcast where we highlight the key things you need to know in global metals and mining this week. In the last Metal Matters, I made the case that wider sentiment was getting a little too bearish relative to current metals market fundamentals and particularly in relation to China. I very much stand by that view, even if I read headline after headline about how China is disappointing or how the Chinese economy is struggling. Make no mistake, there's a lot of problems with China's growth model and the local governments, some graduate internal migrants are certainly feeling that pressure now. But in terms of metals demand, well, we've got preliminary trade figures now in, so it allows us to do some calculations. I calculate copper demand in May was up around 1.5 million tonnes per annum on a year-on-year basis. That's over 10%. Aluminium demand up about 4 million tonnes per annum, also about 10%. Chinese zinc consumption had the strongest May in the past five years. And you add to that, copper wire and cable fabricator operating rates are up at around 90% again. That's the highest level since 2020. So strong property completions and grid demand are certainly doing their bit for base metals. It is a little bit of a different story for steel, where we do have May consumption lower year on year. That's probably to be expected with new construction starts, still quite weak. And this, by the way, should be a red flag for rallying iron ore prices at the present time. Even with this, China's steel consumption in May was above 1 billion tonnes annualised, a pretty impressive number. China is not the problem here, particularly as with the State Council noting that the foundation for China's economic recovery is not yet solid in their view, we have seen some targeted measures to help underperforming property markets. Just an example, Qingdao has further eased property transaction restrictions, lowered down payment requirements, set out its intention to resume shantytown redevelopments, all while supporting direct purchases of existing commercial property by local banks and local government investment funds. There's also some reports suggesting the central government may begin to support these local government investment funds refinance, and certainly that's a key area for Chinese sentiment. So why are we seeing this support now? Well, although property sales are up year on year across China, they were down almost 15% sequentially in May, suggesting overall confidence has not yet returned to that sector. And with the credit impulse waning, We do think many of the powers that be in Beijing have been investigating why this hasn't flowed through into the job creation or activity levels expected, with the conclusion being that local government debts are jamming the mechanisms and hence the support here. Don't expect a massive uplift in China's metals demand, particularly given absolute levels are not bad. But policy support should turn around sentiment. In terms of market concerns, I'd actually argue Chinese headline trade data points more to where the problem may be. The March 8 to April export push does look to have been a blip, with May down 7.5% year-on-year in US dollar terms. Ex-China demand looks to be the major issue. And we have increasing concerns that even if a global economic recession doesn't occur, global industrial recession might without renewed ex-China demand support. I'd like to talk quickly about two areas where we are definitely seeing inflationary pressures fading relatively rapidly. First is global supply chains. If we think back to the pandemic and then the fallout of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, there's no doubt that supply chains were broken in 2021 and early 2022. Consumers were nervous about material availability. Raw materials were following circuitous routes to end markets. Freight capacity was fully utilised and freight costs went through the roof. 
Well, now things are very different. The New York Fed's global supply chain pressure index dropped 0.36 points to minus 1.71 in May. That's not only the third straight zero reading, but also the lowest level since they started doing this index in 1997. And for comparison, this index reached over plus four in December 2021. I also know that having been extremely short supply over that pandemic period, container availability in China is now reported to be extremely good. And it highlights again that global logistics trains are very good at adapting to disruption in time, but also suggests that global demand continues to weaken. The cost inflation element coming through miners' cost bases, well, I mean, we should be seeing that reversing sequentially and certainly moving down sequentially as we get to Q2 results. Um, but it does say that global trade flows on the whole, well, they're potentially going to be negative year on year over the second half of 2023. The second area of inflation pullback is energy and power prices, most specifically in Europe. So we've seen continental European power prices head negative over the past two weeks and European gas prices continue to grind lower. While much naturally depends on the weather, it seems more than likely this continues into Q3 particularly as Europe is well contracted for gas given the reset in consumption levels. Indeed, we now have European utilities exporting coal from stockpiles given the current energy balance. So the natural question we get on this relating to metals is whether we see restarts of the base metal smelters and steel electric art furnaces which were taken offline in the energy crisis last year. In the main, I would say no, or at least not yet. Firstly, given the fall of underlying commodity prices, many would still be pretty marginal. And with wider European industrial weakness, consumer demand hardly justifies restarts at the present time. Secondly, while power prices in Q3 may be low, the risks of a spike in Q4, uh, it's the first European winter without any Russian gas, still elevated. We expect many smelters will wait out until 2024 to see how things pan out before making any decisions. And even then, in the case of aluminium, for example, we think the Slovalco approach of keeping primary capacity offline and converting to a secondary facility processing scrap makes some strategic sense. Meanwhile, one area of global energy that has surprised us is the weakness in Chinese thermal coal pricing. These prices are now at the lowest level since May 2021 and comes despite record power loads for May in various provinces amid a heatwave. Indeed, the Jiangsu power grid load exceeded 100 gigawatts on May the 29th. That's 19 days earlier than the equivalent time last year. Coal inventories, China's northern ports, they've exceeded 30 million tonnes for the first time in the reported data. That's above the high seen during the, the lockdown period in 2020. So what happens now? Well, the drop in price is partly supply related. It owes to the plentiful availability of imported coal at coastal power plants. China's coal imports in May, again, were huge. But it's partly demand-related as well. Non-power industries such as cement have advanced efforts to use gas and other fuels in lieu of coal in order to meet emissions targets. With the fall in coal prices, well, guess what? The official Chinese coal indices have reappeared to resume publication after a 15-month hiatus, which tells us the NDRC is once more happy with current price levels. However, these current price levels think they're putting some pressure on marginal coal producers, many of whom continue to struggle with a high debt burden which could in turn bring some financial risk. This week, we've seen some mines in Shangxi taken offline for equity issues, which you can effectively read as solvency problems. 
With global industrial demand weakening, however, it's still hard to make a case for a strong rebound in coal prices in the near term. Keeping on the power theme, but this time from a longer term thematic point of view, the growth of artificial intelligence has certainly been in the headlines for the last few weeks. There are lots of implications from this, but let's think for a second about the impact on materials and the key thing being the power required for computing. Yes, data processing is and will continue to get more power efficient over time, but when you hear numbers like a potential 50 times increase in workload from AI, it's still a big increase. So let's take a step back and keep things simple. That's what I like to do. Last year, data related processes, so data centers, plus data transmission, consumed around 720 terawatt hours of electricity, or about 2.7% of global electricity demand. Taking a 15% CAGR from current levels means by 2030, you need another 1,500 terawatt hours over and above today's levels. So, keeping installed power capacity utilisation rates constant, which is a whole other topic of debate, that would mean about 400 gigawatts of additional power capacity would be required for data alone. That's roughly equivalent to the current total generation capacity in Japan for context. New power capacity is a copper-intensive thing. If you assume a simple 3 tonnes per megawatt average, that's 1.2 million tonnes of copper. However, given data centre companies are under pressure to manage their carbon footprint, we might expect to see more renewables, more copper intensity, and easily see copper needs above 2 million tonnes. We do build this into our model, we take this into account in our copper forecasting, however again points to the need to substitute copper in traditional demand uses in order to balance the books. Thinking about laterally, while renewables is the natural option at present, we actually see small modular reactors as offering an alternative low carbon solution to data centre providers, particularly given the need for consistent low carbon power, and adding to that, data centres typically need some form of temporary backup power in case of an interruption to grid supply. And here, batteries coming out of electric vehicles could have a functional second life. And if we think a little bit more strategically, many countries are already pushing for data centres to be connected to district heating systems in order to make use of the heat generated. That's even more material-intensive spend. Thank you for listening to Metal Matters. We're here to inform, so any topics you'd like to see covered do just let me know. And please join me again soon to discuss more pertinent issues in these ever-changing global metals and bulk commodity markets. That was Metal Matters, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Metal Matters on Apple Podcasts and other podcast providers, or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more episodes, including our other podcast series, BMO Equity Research in Tune. If you have feedback or suggestions for upcoming podcasts, please do share it with me at colin.hamilton at bmo.com. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com forward slash public hyphen disclosure.